Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really grateful to have partnered with some really great sponsors who provide services that I think many of you would enjoy, find useful, and want to support. The first is OOM. That's O-O-M at oom.earth, oom.earth. OOM has created an industry-changing process for collecting, removing labels, and cleaning and sanitizing used wine bottles so that they can be reused. The cause of the most carbon emissions by the wine industry by a significant margin is the glass bottle, and the recycling rate on wine bottles is troublingly low. OOM just helps solve both of these problems for winemakers at a price you'd likely pay for new glass. If you're a winery who cares about reducing your carbon footprint and having a lighter ecological impact, check out OOM at oom.earth. Use referral code OWP and let them know you heard about them here on the Organic Wine Podcast. Also, if you're considering a holiday in Portugal and Spain, consider booking a luxury wine and food tour with Catavino Tours. Catavino Tours is in the process of making your wine vacation with them emissions neutral or better if possible. They are finding ways to reduce waste and make your trip more deeply educational and meaningful. They are currently booking for a natural and sustainable Portugal wine tour this fall, and you can have an enriching experience while also supporting this podcast by booking at catavinotours.com slash OWP for Organic Wine Podcast. That's C-A-T-A. V-I-N-O Tours with an S dot com slash O-W-P. And finally, if you live in the U.S., especially northeastern U.S. or anywhere around there, and you're interested in establishing a vineyard or adding to an existing vineyard, get in touch with Stephen at Vermont Vineyards. Vermont Vineyards aims to reduce stigmas attached to hybrid grape varieties in New England wine regions while bringing cold climate viticulture into the backyard where it can be enjoyed as a hobby or a passion. You can reach out to Stephen by visiting vtvineyards.com slash OWP. That's vermontvineyards.com slash OWP. My guest for this episode is Virginia Samsel. Virginia is a unique kind of vineyard or orchard consultant. She provides energy work and consultation using a synthesis of biodynamics and Reiki. She translates the messages she receives from a site into helpful advice for the people who care for it and advice that can help farmers build a spiritual connection to their land. Much of this conversation is at and beyond the limits of our language to express, so it's important to be open. You may not be able to go along with Virginia on everything, and that's okay. I think you will find that she doesn't subtract from anything you already know, and she can add some new ways of seeing and knowing your landscape. She gives us some really important tips on how to begin to connect with the land and the things living in it, She talks about spending non-transactional time with your vines or trees, developing a relationship with your site that includes being vulnerable and allowing it to get to know the other parts of you beyond just your farmer side. She offers ideas about how to relate to the land and develop it as more than just a production facility. She reminds us that tending our vineyards is synonymous with tending ourselves. Ultimately, this interview is full of resources about turning this Anthropocene or capitalist scene, into an eco-scene of renewed connectivity. Enjoy. Hi, Virginia. Welcome. Thanks for doing this. Hi. Thanks, Adam. I'm really looking forward to this, actually. Well, I just want to start at the outset for both you and anyone listening that I'm, I have to 
confess ignorance about so much of what we're talking about, which is why, honestly, I wanted to talk to you about it. So my questions may be stupid, and please feel free to treat me appropriately <laughs> and answer appropriately. But uh, I do find myself drawn more and more to the kinds of things that you're doing in terms of just my curiosity and what's what's going on there. What what are the what are these languages that I don't speak that I want to begin to, you know, the process of learning these languages, the process of getting some fluency in, in, in hearing and listening to things that are non-human or extra human. Um, I don't know if that, even just in my ignorance, I don't know if I'm characterizing what you do appropriately by saying these things I'm saying now. So why don't I start by asking you a little bit about yourself and if you could introduce yourself and talk about what you do just to get us started, maybe yeah, you know, sure thing. where um, you are, how you ended up there, all those. You know, yeah, well, it's definitely like circuitous ways to end up anywhere. And sometimes I feel like I was going to end up here no matter which way I went. Um, but um, <laughs> I'm Virginia Samsel and I'm currently living in Seattle um, and working or building a practice um, which integrates Reiki into uh, viticulture and agricultural works, as well as ultimately like larger systems. So energy work for vines is the kind of quick terminology for it. Um, so this is something where I've worked in wine for about a decade, a little, I think right about a decade this year. Um, and I came into that through working in restaurants, which I came into from getting a degree in art. So what else are you going to do? Um, <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people, you know, coming from an art world, you aren't necessarily going to be a professional artist um, in a full capacity. So there's always going to be other things. And one of the benefits of working in um, food and wine is that there is a lot of creativity and a lot of space to kind of explore those other aspects. So in wine, um, I was able to kind of come in the side door. I was really lucky to start at this more boutique old world wine bar in Richmond, Virginia. Um, Seco Wine Bar, they've closed in the last year, but they really had a lot of formation in um, sort of the scene in the in that city, um, little town. So somewhere between a city and a town. Um, but I got to come in the side door working with um, old world wineries that were working, you know, really had these generational ties to the land, was introduced to biogenomics within my first year working in wine and really felt the resonation there. Um, something where it was bigger than just making wine. Um, so this has been like a kind of coming together over the past 10 years, realistically, probably longer, but the 10 years within wine of finding out, you know, kind of having the biodynamic revelation and connection and realizing like that's something that I'd like to integrate into not just my wine drinking, but into the way that I live. Um, and that spiritual aspect took a while for me to come to but what drew me was that connection to the land. And that's something that had always sort of been part of like family narrative, um, great grandfathers that were farmers that were involved with developing farming um, education and those aspects. Um, on the other side of my family, a lot of artists. So it's kind of this play between the two. 
And then continuing down the line, had a lot of aunts and my mother and my grandmother were avid gardeners with beautiful, you know, people would stop their cars to see the plants that my mom had, you know, raised in our little yard in Richmond, Virginia. Um, So it was always kind of very connected as far as um, a lot of dialogue about gnomes and, you know, just life entity (laughs) in the earth. Um, And so connecting with biogenomics in wine, it became like, this is bigger. It's not just what the stories that we share. It's not just that. There's so much, so many other ways to connect. So as I kept working in wine, um, I kept seeing other ways where more care into that aspect and to other parts of biodynamics, like delving into the more esoteric um, elements could benefit us, not just, um, and not just looking at it as like, we're only going to work in this system, this little way. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Just kind of. Coming together, uh, sorry, I'm just going to catch myself for a second. I was like rambling off, but um, no, 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 it's, uh, no, no, it's this is all, yeah, no, all makes sense. I love to hear. Yeah, how I mean, really, that's part of it. Is like, how do you go from these these initial stages to 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 where you are now? Yeah, please I think keep going. It was, <laughs> yeah, I think the benefit was through connection. Really, is getting to start meeting producers and people who were working biodynamically, meeting people who um, were dedicated to the practice and watching sometimes in some ways how it wasn't always handled as well as I kind of, I really wanted to see it handled, um, especially in a sales aspect. Um, Occasionally there might be a sales rep when I worked as a buyer who would bring in a biodynamic wine and kind of brush it off a little bit, like not brush it off, but be like, oh, and they do this woo woo stuff. And um, not yeah. totally knowing that I had a little bit more depth of experience in like my personal edification of biodynamics. Yeah. And it was Intimate a little off-putting for sure <laughs> <laughs> to hear somebody sort of brush off the labor intensive practices that these people were doing mm. as just woo woo. Um, so I began really kind of investigating for myself, like how can I better steward these wines like they don't stop being biodynamic once they go in the bottle so how do you handle them into their cultural end which is still part of their life um so as i was navigating that and the stewardship of communication um, to consumers and sharing the work that the producers were putting into this land um i started seeing other aspects too and like how do you integrate biodynamic practice including the including the more spiritual part that is a little more um, can be off-putting to people who are a little afraid to put themselves out there um, and, a, and a bit confusing for sure um, when you're used to things operating under a certain way that you've been looking at it. Um, and the biggest takeaway that I've kind of come up with is to live like operate with a sense of wonder and a sense of that allows a sense of possibility. Um, so if we're operating under fact where it's like, this is done, this is set, um, I really kind of see it as dead, um, and letting ourselves operate in that sense of wonder allows that, um, possibility to life and continuation. So started looking at how I could integrate it into my life. And ultimately that shifted into, 
other aspects and how do we better connect um, that spiritual aspect that improves like our personal life? Um, how do we how do we recognize ourselves in the in the site and in the systems? Because we're already there. Um, the winemaker yeah. is already in the system. It's just we're kind of trained as humans to develop this ego of I'm guiding the system. I'm helping. I'm helping nature. I'm doing this. But we really have to recognize like we are nature. We are the system. We are not like we are not separate of it. We are not guiding it. We are fully it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, it's looking into like kind of the biogenomic aspect of like exploring the universe by exploring ourselves and kind of back and forth between the two. So by improving the vineyard, we're improving ourselves by improving ourselves. We're improving the vineyard and cultivating that connection between the two. Um, so in, and in doing that, what we lean on is developing our intuition um, that is already there, but just learning how to listen to it. Um, and what's kind of come up with some of my work with the vines is that intuition it's not, it's another thing where it's, it's not separate from your system. Intuition is all of the energy that you're receiving from your vines, from your land, from the trees around your vineyard site, from the other aspects of your system. It's all information that you've been receiving in a nonverbal um, and in possibly in some cases like non-local aspect. Um, so it's information that is in front of you that you're not necessarily conscious of. And so exploring that subconscious and leaning into it and giving it space to have reality. Hmm. Well, I like that a lot. And I, I think you and I, when we spoke earlier, I mentioned some, one of the things that has sort of awakened me to, you know, my dawning ignorance <laughs> about these things and realizing that I wanted to learn more uh, was Stephen Herod. Buner, um, who I guess just recently passed away, as it turns out. No sooner did I discover him and his teachings, uh, his books, and his book, The Secret Life of Plants, really digs into the science behind some of these, like the the word intuition, which I, I, I guess a question for you, I'm jumping around a little bit, I'll come back to that, but you know, this this word intuition and, and talking about the the heart as a sense organ and these electromagnetic fields that are actually measurable and how they can change in the presence of different, you know, plant energies and human energies and how you're, you know, you can measure responses of the heart to different plants and things like that. So there are, there are actually measurable things that we just haven't considered in this, this word that we think of as, you know, some people think of as woo woo, you know, uh, and then there are, you know, energies that we, I, I think in a humble, if, if we were going to express it humbly, we haven't figured out how to measure yet, or we can measure outcomes, but not necessarily causes. Um, but I'm wondering, like, is, do you see intuition as a as a metaphor? Is that is there is I that word? What does that word mean to you? <laughs> intuition, I think, is the closest thing we have to like. You know, we're kind of um, impeded by language in some ways. <laughs> you know, like we're impeded and held. Yeah. Like the more words we have, yes. the more we can reach out. But at the same time, there's some aspects of experience that are really hard to put into words. Um, and so I think intuition is the closest thing that we can like describe, you know, the experience of like all of the information that is around us that we're processing. So like, right. you know, that aspect of like, we're almost, um, we're a processor of sorts, like operating in that capacity. So our input is pro- processing and like the intuition is sort of the, um, amalgamation of all of that information. Yeah. 
I like I like that it's like while we're thinking about whatever it is we're thinking about, um, meanwhile our body is using its own intelligence uh, to turn the food that we just ate into us. And yes. you know these complex systems that we partake in, whether we're our attention is focused on them or whether we even understand them, really are happening and are making us who we are. And I love that you know sort of thinking of in, intuition that way too. That it's that sensing yeah, and it's of that all process... of these things that we can't focus on at one you know with our narrow little lens. Or of near, we have a very we have a narrow scope. We have like kind of yeah. what we understand, and we have perspective that are that are structured. Um, and so there's a lot of benefit. Like one of the things I kind of really try to encourage um, is like the idea of like rest and celebration as practice. Um, And so in rest, we like, you know, when you talk about when you sleep, you're recovering and that kind of thing, we're actually doing a lot of work processing like our experiences of the day and coming through things through dreaming, we're processing the emotional aspects of our lives and that kind of work. Um, And I think that that's something that really needs to be um, seen. And there's a lot, there's several people out there that have been um, bringing this forward more recently is the idea of like rest is work. And it is, Mm. you know, it's something like it's bringing so much more up from you and it's allowing that process to happen. And it's not the conscious processing. It's the subconscious processing the parts that you didn't even know you saw. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. And, and I had that recently with, we, we had a, a cat who we have, we have a couple cats here <laughs> and uh, one of them disappeared and never came back. And so mm-hmm. at a certain point we had to acknowledge that he was gone forever. Um, barring some, you know, like miraculous journey from Canada <laughs> down the West coast or so, you know, some unforeseen thing. Uh, we lost the cat, you know, and I, my wife at one point, you know, when we had this, I was like, maybe, we, you know, I just, after a few weeks, I was like, maybe we should have a ceremony and just suggesting that made her break into tears. And I'd never really experienced that. And then ni- a few nights later, I had a dream and it was about this cat. This is such a strange story to tell, but no, I no, dreamt- no, it's the right I, story to tell. Yeah. I dreamt about this cat and it was a cat that you know i thought it was my cat i thought it was this long and i had all the emotion of like rediscovering oh he's back and we found him and he's returned and then when i picked him up i could tell it wasn't our cat and there was all like this sort of sadness and disappointment and realizing you know that coming to terms with like oh it's not my cat and then and then woke up from that dream was like that was a grieving dream like that was like that my body really needing to or you know my mind my soul really needing to to deal with that loss. Um, but yeah, it's things like that where you, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think more and more of sleep as something to get really good at. Like I realize I'm really bad at sleep sometimes and I need to like practice it and work on it, you know, like, d- you know, dedicate time and conscious effort to, to being better at it, to be able to let my body do these things that I can't control, but I know are really necessary for. Yeah. Sleep is great. And it's, it's something too, where it's, it's really a kind of meditation. Um, You know, you're allowing yourself to relax into your body, especially if you're able to fully do it. Um, (laughs) uh, And a lot of us, you know, a lot of us aren't able to fully do it or haven't during periods of time. And um, it just becomes a recovery practice instead of a development processing practice. Um, but it's, it's something that can be a really great way to 
learn how to begin listening to your intuition um, by, you know, a lot of people might keep dream journals or that kind of thing. And even just noting your dream um, can help you begin to like see that there's other possibilities and something that maybe you missed in the day before um, or weeks before um, can help you process like, why was I acting this way? <laughs> like, why was I doing this? Um, and you're like, oh, no, I see. <laughs> Surprise. I have a subconscious <laughs> that has a lot of control over me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we're already talking about it, but is this, is this how one, by paying attention to these kinds of things, is this how one begins to develop a capacity to hear you know, to to sense, or I, I use the word hear and listen as metaphors, I guess, for receiving information from extra human or you know non-human voices, yeah. like again, yeah. Voices so the, um, the so the information that's around us, like kind of talking about Reiki, like Reiki is um, this idea or this practice of like that all of the ambient energy that's available to us all the time, like getting access to that and. Everyone has access to it, um, but through like Reiki attunement or meditation or other energetic practices, you can kind of have a little better connection to it and tap into it easier. So you're receiving the information more clearly, kind of think of it as a receiver of some kind. So you're able to tune in better. Um, and in, you know, using meditation practices, dream practices, etc. Um, you can begin kind of fine tuning where that transmission is coming from and different things are going to have different levels of transmission. Um, and by things, it can range from like individual plants to the entire vineyard to the whole system and expanding. And so we're all looking at your body, like you're a series of smaller and smaller systems, and then we're part of bigger and bigger systems. So it's just mm -hmm. that like back and forth between like, you know, we basic, we are the universe and the universe is us. And that's the biggest thing to like really begin wrapping your head around. And it can be a hard thing to wrap your head around. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, when, once you sort of start down this path of the interconnectedness of all things, it's really hard to even use language to talk about what you're seeing. Like you really do get into the space or I, I should speak for myself. I, I'm getting into the space where, you know, everything really becomes metaphor. You know, everything is this sort of surface ripple, like a wave. I think that's the, the, one of the analogies for life on earth or for the, you know, for, for individuality, for individual human bodies is like, it's like a wave on the ocean. Like it looks like, you know, we can describe it as a wave, but it's inseparable from this deep, enormous, immense, you know, surging force that, you know, we can't fathom. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I think maybe seeing that as part of it, what, but what, what other, what other things could we do like in our vineyards, in our, with our, with, with the, your practice, the, with our practice, with our, yeah. Like as we're farming perhaps. To, yeah. So, um, to, yeah. Kind of, what, what do you suggest? Like <laughs> practical ways to kind of begin connection. Um, yes, something, yes. yeah. Something I really like to recommend is non-transactional time with your sites. Um, so, a lot, which is can also be difficult too if you have a lot of work and you're short-handed and um, you know you have you have a timeline especially when there's physical things that have to happen and there's a structure to that 
Um, but finding space to spend non-transactional time and develop your relationship with your site, um, whether it's a vineyard or a garden um, or any kind of system of capacity, um, that non-transactional time allows the rest of the site to learn about you as well. Um, if you go into a site and the only thing you're doing is working every single time you're there, that's what they're prepared to do every single time you're there. Um, mm -hmm. And they're processing that as well. So you can get this kind of like, they're here to work, they're here to work, they're here to work. And um, getting to spend that time, whether it's having a lunch, having, um, you know, just a walk through the site, um, taking a nap, I think is a really great thing to do in a vineyard. Um, if you have like 15 yeah. minutes, um, bring a little hammock, bring one of those little inflatable, you know, air catching cushions um, and take a little nap, like find a little view of your site and appreciate it for what it is um, outside of a producer, you know, outside yeah. of a production facility, which, you know, in a lot of ways it is. Um, but it, it's also an entity and people who get to like live on their land, get to experience this more. Um, but it's still really important to vineyard sites that are part of a larger structure or separated from the winery. Um, some of the vines that I've worked with in the past have actually, all of them have distinct personalities and, um, the same as with any people that you meet. Um, some are more extroverted, some are more introverted and spending time can help. You can help start understanding like what those sites feel like and what they need. And it, a lot of the information comes through um, kind of as emotions. It's sort of the idea, like it feels a little bit like here's this emotion that has shown up that is not mine, <laughs> that is something else's. Um, and it's the best way to describe it. So um, there have been some sites that are very social and they'd love to have people around, but because of their location, um, they're a little more isolated. So how do you manage that? And it could be people, it could be other plants. They're just looking for connection and sometimes looking for guidance. Like if there might be confusion at the site, um, and helping them find ways to reorient their energy so that it moves in a way that can be beneficial. Um, and a lot of what we're looking for is kind of transmutation of energy. Um, like when you're looking at biogenomic practices, like the burying of the manure stuffed horn and the stag's bladders, et cetera, all of the different compost treatments, um, as you're doing those longer fermentation and burial practices, what you're looking for is transmutation of energy. Um, and that's what you look for in these meditative, like um, personal connective practices too, is transmuting that energy from one of um, sort of, again, like transactional is what comes up the most, but that idea of like, I'm here to do this with you to get this. Um, and instead being like, I am here and you are here and we are here together and what else might happen? And again, leaving yeah. that sense of possibility and wonder, allowing some stillness so that things can develop. If we continue to move, it's, you know, you're never going to find those, um, the parts that you might, you might just walk past something that's, that could be really positive. Um, even looking at like biodiversity, like you want to encourage that in a site. Um, but if you're not leaving still spaces through the site, then all of that biodiversity is mostly going to be on the outside of it. 
So finding a way to like integrate, like here's, let's leave a few little like rock piles within the vineyard or let's plant a non-productive bush here when this is where spiders and birds can kind of nest um, within the vineyard instead of on the outskirts of the vineyard. So looking at ways to like bring that life that you're cultivating through the site um, and having more still spaces, more webbing, and like kind of looking at everything as like a spider web almost of space, like we're allowing energy to move through, allowing things to rest, allowing things to accumulate, um, and allowing things to basically ferment. So ideas to ferment, energies to ferment, um, and allowing that possibility to find root. It sounds like you're now, I just want to say, when you say non-transactional, does that mean I can't take photographs to use on an in, on social media? No, no, no. I well? feel like I feel like that is useful. You're appreciating your. It's more that like trying to not um, go in and be like, okay, we're going to prune you, we're going to trim you, we're going to like, what are you doing for me right now? Like photographs yeah. is something where you're appreciating the site for itself, you yeah. know, and like giving yeah. it that space and like. You know, there might be some transactional work that happens around it, but giving some non-transactional time, you know, just letting yeah. them know, like, I am here to appreciate you as you are um, yeah. instead of like, what am I getting from you? Yeah. And it, it sounds almost like the way you're describing it, that it would require a, a re-envisioning of, of what we think of as a, a vineyard, a quote unquote vineyard, uh, if if we really wanted to be incorporating these this idea, like we yeah, you kind of have to like lean into it. And it's it's really a re-envisioning of like just relationships in general, because this is a problem that comes up not just with vineyards, but in the way people interact with other people, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of transactional, like overly transactional behavior of like that person is for this. So anytime you get a phone call from this person, you're expecting them to ask for this or that, or you're on you're on that call, um, you're on that guard and your body's kind of ready to react. Um, so it's, and so in shifting those relationships with the vineyard, you can start shifting the way that you interact with any relationship. Yeah. So any work you're doing in the vineyard is about taking care of yourself as well. So those slow times in the vineyard and that appreciation of the vineyard as itself are reflected back on like in making the decision to do that practice, you are also appreciating yourself as yourself and that continuation. Yeah, I like that. Um, how do you usually start with people? I mean, what, what is what what if you came to somebody's vineyard? What can yeah, they so That's just like the practical aspect of introducing myself <laughs> to the vineyard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I um, generally come meet with um, the client, the you know whoever's site owns the site or is managing the site, and we'll talk a little bit in advance. Um, just to get a little bit of information about the site. I try to go in um, a little bit uh, somewhat blind as to any issues or problems. Like they can come up as we're discussing because that's how things go on. Um, but I like to kind of get a feel for the site, um, just their personality as is. And usually it'll start with um, just making my way into the space and begin feeling for that, for what energies are the most prominent. Um, usually there might be, or, and even just the initial personality. Um, one of the first sites that I ever did work with, um, was back in Virginia and is 
um, not not biogenomically farmed, but was using some biogenomic treatments. In Virginia, it's just very difficult to do that kind of work. Um, high humidity, clay soils, and vinifera vines don't really make for uh, no fungicide treatment. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I was visiting with this site and. Uh, the sense that came up first was this one of confusion and it didn't really make sense to me because this was kind of early on in my experience. Um, and I just kind of noted it um, and kind of kept track of the things that were coming up as I walked through the site. Um, but there was just a lot of confusion and it didn't feel like the vines were really recognizing each other even as like a whole system. Um, and so that was something that I, I really got to learn that idea of connectivity in sight and um, that were how, how important those systems are. Um, later, when I was sharing the notes with the viticulturalist, um, she was, you know, she was like, well, they're actually all J-rooting. Um, and her predecessor had kind of not necessarily planted them as they should have been. They hadn't gotten the best treatment and they were all kind of trying to replace themselves. So a lot of the mm -hmm. work um, early work with them was helping them feel comfortable and helping them begin to recognize each other um, and be building that connection from the beginning. Um, other sites I've been to, like um, down here in Oregon or down in Oregon, um, were these young sites and they were like really just like bright and vibrant. And as soon as I like set foot in there, they were like, hey, hey, what's going on? And it was just this very like party sort of atmosphere. And I was like, if you guys do any events, this would be a really great place to do them. Like, it's just learning. The first thing I do is try to learn the personality and then begin feeling out where that energy, where those energy points are coming from. Like, are is the biggest energy flow um, coming from outside the site? Are there places where there's um, is there, is there a spot within the system that can reserve energy? Are there blockages? Are there um, leaks, basically? Are there is there places where energy is like flowing out of the site too fast? And just kind mm -hmm. of begin to like build that personality and the physical, like the energetic structure of the site. Yeah, that's interesting. I well, it's, there's several questions come up from that. But when you when you talk about to clients like you know these van these plants seem like they want, they're trying to make themselves feel more comfortable or I guess some of this um, sort of, I guess you would say anthropomorphized language in relation to them. Maybe it's not anthropomorphized, but you know, it's, it's a, analogizing their communications to feelings that we might understand. Is there like, what, ha like what, what response do you get from people when you t talk that way? And can you, is there a, I don't know. Is there another way? Like, what are you thinking about when you say them? Is there, are these analogies for things that are just harder to put in non Well, it's, a, it's another thing. It's language? kind of looking at it as translating. So it's, uh -huh. you know, because right. I'm not getting um, any verbal expressions from plants. Right. Again, it kind of comes up. The closest thing I can describe it to is emotions. So the closest thing I can translate it to is emotions like human emotions and that's going to be what comes up um so it's this kind of translation of a language that i don't have a formal dictionary for <laughs> um okay. you right. know and it's working more under the idea of like um a connective understanding like it's gotcha. i'm not getting shown um 
really specific images or anything like that. It's sort of more uh, sensation and feeling. And so they're communicating through a language that they understand. And it's, we're somehow translating for um, people who haven't connected totally. Um, and I am fortunate in the fact that the people that I am working for are very open <laughs> to this kind of language. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be working with me in the first place. <laughs> well, so what, I have been uh, very beneficial in the support of the people I've connected with. Um, even even the people who might be a little more pragmatic, um, there's interest in how this is working. And again, that sense of even that beginning sense of like possibility and sense of wonder allows for that space and shift in language. Um, and the other part too is vineyard, ma- vineyard managers, uh, owners, etc. anyone who, who really is already spending time with their site, they know that that's already kind of happening. Like they can feel, you know, shifts in temperament in the vineyard. Um, it's just more a matter of recognizing how to, how to process it and how to, you know, move that into something that you can communicate with. Why do they call you out to their site in the first place? And, and I mean, like, what do they think they're going to get? What do they hope to get? And maybe, and maybe as you're asking about that, I guess the, the question that I, that really led me into that question was like, is health, how do you think of health in relation to what you're doing, like the health of the, the, the system that you're looking at, the ecosystem that you're looking at, or the health of individual plants? Like how do you assess, yeah, sort yeah. of assess, think about that idea of health? And then is that what people want or, or, or what do people want when they ask for your services? I think what people want is to learn like more ways to understand like there's the practical way of like you've gone to viticulture school and you know this, that, and the other, but there's also more. And I think when people are interested in working with me, they're interested again in other possibilities in, in understanding the site and better understanding the site. Um, one of the reasons, one of the kind of points that drew me to this develop, like to connecting with this as a possibility is looking at, um, vineyards in France and Spain and across Europe who have 14 generations working the land. The pe- and right. these are people who their entire family has grown up on this land. They're very connected. Um, where here in North America, you know, we might have fifth generation farmers, mm-hmm. maybe at the most. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's kind of pushing it in a lot of cases. Um, and even in that sense, um, there's a, most of those, at least through some of that time, weren't necessarily working organically and weren't very connected to the land. Um, so we have a lot of lost communication and lost connectivity. Um, we've also removed indigenous plants. We've removed indigenous people. There's a lot of disconnect with the land here. And I think yeah. that learning where we can fit in and where we can shift those make those changes and recover some of the aspects that we've lost um, can be really beneficial to what's coming next. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, this is kind of a joke, but you know, I was wondering like, do you ever go into a vineyard and the plants are just screaming apocalypse? Like, oh. you, know, whatever, <laughs> like, like um, uh, you know, like, you know what I mean? Where they're just like, this 
site has a history of just total genocide and like they, uh, well, this was once this was once like an old growth forest and now we're here and we shouldn't be yeah here. i'm fortunately most of the people like most of the sites i've gotten to work with have have been in very good hands overall <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um but again like the some of the earliest sites I was working with, um, like I said, they they missed people and they they weren't close to trees and they felt very lonely. And um, the best recommendation I had would be to like plant other trees near them, but it wasn't really a possibility at the time for what the place that I was working with. And a lot of the recommendations too that come up are long term. You know, these are vines. They're they you know they're not one year and you got to do all of your work in this amount of time. The recommendations right. are like, how do you develop this relationship and how do you make those changes over time? And, um, you know, what is important and what's available to you at this point? Um, because when I'm giving people, again, prescriptions or ideas or the things that are coming up with plants, plants are not expecting these changes next week. They're just, a lot of times, they're just happy to be able to express what they would like they haven't yeah. necessarily been heard for a while. Um, on another hand, like I've had, I've definitely had some sites, uh, one site in particular down in the Willamette Valley, where some of the energy that was moving through it was really intense and was not wholly uh, just nature driven. It was all nature driven, but man was definitely involved. And I kind of had the impression, and this, this is the part where I'm like, I'm just going to have to lean into this because this is what I'm doing. But the impression was um, a little, probably a little bit of witchcraft running through there. It was, it had a very powerful kind of feel to it um, that was enhanced. Like it felt like it was enhanced by man. Um, and it was, it was quite intense. And when I kind of shared that information um, with the vineyard manager, he was like, well, this is, we've had some issues with the, uh, electric, like some dangerous issues here. And uh, the guys who work in the vine have definitely found some kind of eerie little things in this area. Um, and, but overall it wasn't bad energy. It was just a little over manipulated and really powerful. So mm. what I worked on with that site was how do we make this a little less dangerous? How do we kind of begin harnessing it? And some of the systems that'll come up will be um, almost like building like hydroelectric dams, but for energy, like this unseen energy um, and slowing it down and making it a little more usable, dispersing it through the site instead of having it like blast through something and um, in this like powerful river. So building little dams and little ways to like ebb it out um, and spread it into other spaces. Huh. Yeah, that is interesting. Is it, I mean, the way that you talk about it, it sounds familiar in in the sense of like having heard feng shui described. Do you ever mm -hmm. use that analogy or is that a bad analogy? No, I think that's the thing is like, I just come to it with uh, Reiki as that's my train. That's my right. training. Um, Got it. This is usable. I think anyone who's working with energy, any kind of energy work that taps into that bigger sense of information. And there's so many different aspects throughout the world, especially with more Eastern, predominantly with more Eastern and indigenous cultures, that energy's never been left out. Um, you know, we've kind of, in more Western practices, obviously, kind of trying to operate a, 
a sense of like understanding everything. Um, but when you're trying to understand everything, you're sometimes limiting what's possible, <laughs> you know, because uh, you're, you're looking for fact instead of that space in between. Um, and I think with uh, feng shui, with like healing touch, with just these other aspects of um, natural, like nature connectivity um, and nature presence, uh, divas, elementals, um, it's, it's all applicable. It's just a different way to translate that information that's here. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have any stories that would cause people who are maybe doubters to sort of ask a question or two, maybe sort of open a mind or two in terms um, of just things that you've seen happen with places where you've, you've done some work? Yeah. Well, I guess like a lot of like um, what I can share, you know, I feel like the best term is like anecdotal. So yeah. it's something that I've experienced and I can speak to, um, but I don't have it scientifically backed or under a series of scheduled like practices to, you know, track, track, track it. Um, but I definitely yeah. have um, experiences with the different sites that I've worked and the different winemakers that keep like definitely kind of show corroboration of connection. Um, uh, one of the sites I was working with in Italy um, was all distance work. Um, so that's one thing that's kind of interesting here too is with energy work, uh, you can do non-local practice. Um, okay. So I can connect to sites without being there, without ever being there. Um, I usually try to connect, uh, collect as much information as I can about the map, the layout of the space, um, get some, you know, Google map images and do some drawings so I can work remotely um, and mm -hmm. send through like a proxy image or through a proxy map, receive and send information. Um, and so my friend who I was working with in Abruzzo um, had four young vineyard sites. Um, and every time I would check in with them, uh, again, I wasn't getting a ton of information with him. This was one of the first projects I was doing. So I was really trying to get a sense of how this would operate and what kind of information could would come through. So I would share my notes and eventually like we kind of started seeing some routine, you know, some uh, repeat action and that kind of thing, uh, learning how to develop that understanding of um, a personality of sight, et cetera. Um, so as I was you know, checking in with these sites, um, three of them kind of consistent, kind of just working through like some of their, what issues they had coming up and, you know, here's where something's having some lack and here's where some stress is happening and would share those stressors. And then this fourth site, um, every time I check in with the site, it felt different. And I was just like, this feels so much older. Like it has, and I kept telling him, I'm like, this site has information for you. It really wants you to come sit. It wants to share what it knows. It, and like, it just kept happening. Like week after week, I was doing, I think, weekly sessions with them. Um, and like, I think maybe four or five sessions in, I was just like, do you have any, is there any reason that this site is so much different? It just feels so much older and has so much more like depth of like, it just feels much deeper and, um, and eventually he was like, well, those are actually my selection with solvines and they're trimmed from, they were taken from a neighboring site that's like 60 year old site that's been really well established here. 
So uh, they had a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, that's why I like working somewhat blind so that I'm not feeding that into anything. Um, I can just kind of come up with, you know, what the vines share with me um, mm -hmm. and pass that along. Um, other aspects have been um, with checking in with some of the sites down here in Oregon, um, kind of go through like, here's the, you know, here's the wine that I expect this makes, even though I haven't had it before. And they're like, yep, that lines up. So kind of work in that experiential anecdotal aspect. Um, and then kind of had one experience in uh, this project this past summer um, where I was doing remote work and the everything seemed very normal with the site. Everything seemed fine with the site. And as I was trying to um, kind of end our session, um, the site kind of wouldn't let go for a moment. Um, and what came up was this sense of um, sort of, they were concerned with the well-being of one of this, like a person or persons. It was concern for people. And I wasn't sure if it was um, the workers on the vineyard or what it was, if it was injury, illness, like emotional, um, but they were very insistent that they, there was something wrong and they wanted to find out what was going on. And this was like nine in the morning on like a weekday. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll find out. And they're like, right now. And I'm like, okay, I'll just shoot a text over to them. And again, this is a part where I had to kind of lean into, this is what I said I was going to do. And so I'm going to have to lean into reaching out to the vineyard manager right now <laughs> about uh, what's going on here. And, you know, definitely takes a little bit of like letting go of the ego to do that, but um, reach out and was just like, Hey, I hope everything's well and kind of explained the situation. And I um, was just like, hope everything's good. Let me know. Uh, but that's, what's kind of coming up and got a pretty quick response that everything was fine, but the vineyard manager, like the point of contact um, was out with COVID. <laughs> And so I was able to share that with the vines and everything kind of relaxed after that, but that he was doing well. So again, you know, there's a lot of people who that's not enough for them and that's fine. You know, this is something that it takes people their own, it's their own path to get to the openness of what's possible and you can't force it on anyone and you can't force that change. So it's available if anybody wants it. All this energy is available to them whenever they'd like it. Um, but that's on their time, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you, I mean, do you see in working with people, do you, I guess, do you think that people are seeking a spiritual connection in agriculture more these days? Like I it feels so. like, we, I mean, it just feels like we went through a period of deep separation. <laughs> that sounds oxymoronic, but I mean, a, a period of, just reductive science, the green revolution, where, you know, we thought we could control, we thought we could, you know, mechanize and industrialize and, and have solutions in a bottle and separate problems from their connection to everything else. And, and now, you know, we've reaped that way of thinking in our lives. And it's, you know, there's a lot of bad health and a lot of trauma because of that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, that the response to that has been, well, wait a minute, like, how do we reconnect? You know, how do we get back in touch with the ecology, the connection of things? Do you find that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think not just in agriculture and 
and farming practices, but you'll, you're seeing it in a lot of different aspects of like our social life. Um, and, and it's something that had been part of science for a very long time. You know, when you're looking at like Leonardo da Vinci and those kinds of, um, Renaissance men, um, like they were together, philosophy and science were the same, you know, um, these weren't spirituality, was connected to science. Like they are very connected. Um, and there's so much that's lost when they're separated. Um, like I don't try to operate in spirituality in a sense of like blind belief that like, well, this is, this is it. And that's fact. And that's done. It's the same idea. Like blind belief in spirituality is the same problem with blind belief in science. Um, the two kind of really need each other to support each other to reach their ultimate possibilities. It's um, what I kind of try to talk about is and try to live by is living in the gestalt. So the idea that like, you know, our sum is bigger than the parts. Um, Mm. And again, that like bigger sense operating in something that's like larger than you can quite see or you can quite expect. Um, And I think that that's something that we have lost for a while because there was, there's a lot of fear and I, in life in general. And I think that's why people had been leaning into these more factual. It's like, I'm it's science. It's the fact it's this two plus two is four or religion where it's like, this is what happens when I die and that's it. And I don't really, I'm not really concerned with anything else. And you still see that obviously there's a lot of both of those. But I think we're kind of reaching a point where it's like, it's been really dire for people, especially people who haven't had a voice. Um, And finding that connection between science and spirituality gives a voice, Um, you know, not just to people who might have been overlooked or um, displaced, but to nature and to land and to recognize like that those voices need to be heard. and I think that that's kind of where things are coming. Yeah. Do you have any resources that people that you could point people to to learn more about Reiki or yeah, um, any any of this? You know, anything that you do or just something that's been meaningful to you that you that you know help to help people sort of begin to dip their toe into some of dip these. their toe into all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really enjoy um, uh, uh, Nicholas Jolie's demystifying biodynamic wine um i think is a really nice book that kind of incorporates some of the more esoteric parts while still making it very digestible um definitely gets you know a little bit nerdy in some parts and but at the same time um you know has a lot of clarity and he's someone who's been working in this capacity for some time and does a lot of education in biodynamics um other aspects uh there's little books. I'm trying to remember what they're through. I think they're through like the Sophia library, but um, there are these small books that are based off of, that are selections of Rudolf Steiner's writings um, or his lecture series. um, And it kind of helps dig into the more esoteric aspect. And they'll focus on the different holidays um, that are celebration practices within um, that work within agricultural timing for biodynamics. Um, And you get to kind of get a little more 
nerdy and poetic in that capacity too. Um, And then there's a few outside of um, this end that I have found really uh, beneficial for myself, um, kind of incorporating more science end, uh, looking at, there's this one book I recently read um, from Irvin Laszlo. It's uh, Science in the Akashic Field. And he's a philosopher who talks about kind of this field of information, um, which is basically what we've been talking about, this uh, ambient energy um, that holds all of this information through us. Um, and it's when you look at Rudolf Steiner's right, or lectures and um, other Eastern practices, the Akashic records are this uh, sort of energetic binding of sorts that holds all of the information of the world. And so he writes about how this is really beneficial to scientific theory um, and has been used in that for some time and kind of like dipping into um, how it can be utilized more um, and should be accepted um, as not necessarily fact, but as practice. Um, I also like reading about uh, symbiosis and just kind of like digging into that realm of connectivity. So books on mushrooms and um, uh, Lynn Margulis um, wrote a really great little book about symbiosis and how it helped develop um, our, you know, viruses and ourselves and all of the, all of the shifts that happened through that connectivity. Um, So I kind of look at, you can get all this kind of like find your way into it um, through what excites you most. But, but reading everything kind of with a, more of a sense of, like you were saying, metaphor. So anything yeah. you read, um, you can also read it as a way to understand yourself. If you're learning about the earth and mushrooms growing, think about the connectivity through yourself. And I think that's kind of the way that I practice. So anything I pick up, there's potential to learn. Yeah. That's actually really interesting. I mean, the idea of interpreting, you know, interpreting literature that way is like as a psychological journey. It's, it's always, in a sense, like every character is you, just like you can interpret dreams that way in a way too. Um, I, I know we're getting into something maybe beyond what you said, but but that's uh, what it made me think of. Um, and your website is a pretty good resource just to get some ideas flowing as well too, right? Yeah, happy to kind of breaks down some of the little notes of it. Oh, I have one more book I really want to recommend. Oh, please. Yeah, 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 it's um, this woman, Sarita Doherty. Um, Sarita Doherty, uh, she wrote this really wonderful book um, or textbook is what she calls it. And it's a textbook for the eco scene. Um, And she and other cohorts, as she describes them, kind of put together this DIY PhD um, so helping people sort of like create their own PhD and their own dissertations um, that are really driven around earth connectivity. Um, and one of the things she writes about is not looking forward to our future as being in Anthropocene, but ver- rather in an ecocene and our connectivity to earth. And she's been working on this for years at this point, but her book, the textbook for the ecocene has really great interviews and writings from multiple um, female and indigenous practitioners, um, as well as practices like connective practices to do with like 
your land and your land could be like your backyard or your park that's near you or your vineyards. Um, and so ways to connect and some of them involve working with other people with cohorts to help each other, like find that um, nature, like ecological and natural connectivity um, to each other and to the earth. Um, but it's a really great little book. I think it's just um, an ebook right now, but they had it. They had it published um, in paperback for a while, so I recommend that highly. <laughs> nice. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I found it. Looks interesting. Um, great. And can you give your website as well? Yeah. Um, VavaDynamica.com. V-A-V-A. Virginia, originally from Virginia, or <laughs> I grew up there. <laughs> that's where all of this kind of started. Um, so makes it a lot easier for people to remember me too, if I'm Virginia from Virginia. <laughs> Baba Dynamica. Got Baba Dynamica. Um, but yeah, kind of sharing, um, some of my process and, uh, ways to kind of like just a little peek into it. Cause obviously this gets kind of dense and, uh, most communication works a little better when we get to have a one-on-one -on -one dialogue and people can ask the questions that come up because, everybody's got different questions and different ways where this does or doesn't make sense to where they're practicing right now. Um, so there's only so much I'm going to stick on a website and try not to look like I'm right. writing some diatribe. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's funny. If you, I mean, it, speaking of questions, are there any questions I should have asked that I haven't? Like, or no, I feel like these like are great say. questions. And again, it's like the questions of the moment, you know, um, yeah. there'll be other things that come up, but those are things that can come up. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for talking. Yeah, no, this that. was great. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. And a huge thanks to those of you who have subscribed to the Organic Wide Podcast Patreon page. You've been a huge help in making this podcast possible, both financially and just the inspiration that you give me. And it's humbling and I'm so grateful. We're actually getting close to paying for the hard costs of websites and fees that are necessary to have a podcast. Of course, there's still lots of costs involved. My time is not paid for, but it's really nice to just have some of those monthly bills covered. I'm extremely grateful for and humbled by your support. And if you aren't a Patreon subscriber, the link is in the show notes. And I've created a support page at organicwinepodcast.com with that link, as well as other ways you can support this podcast. Thank you so much for whatever you can do.